Well, good morning from me. Uh, it's great to be together, and I just appreciated the band. I just thought they did a great job. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, no. Thank you so much for serving us and coming all the way from Newcastle to bless us. That's been, been outstanding. And uh, we, just, we just love Jesus here. It's, um, our mission statement really is to get more and more intoxicated with him. Is, is that okay? Um, <laughs> I think we can cope with that, can't we? Um, although we say something like that every week, we kind of have a form of words which says, he wants more of us and we just want more of him, and it just keeps happening that way. I really sensed some of the prophetic, I just felt a healing anointing come in the room as the worship started. There's a I believe you could walk out of here today transformed like that. There's, a, there's, a, there's an impossibility. Phil prophesied it. Lots of us face impossibilities in our bodies, in our work, in our money. I believe there's an impossibility breakthrough. Do you know God does impossibilities for breakfast, dinner, and tea? You know, he doesn't sit there going, oh, I've only got three left today. And too bad that it all happened in another church. Uh, <laughs> So there's something about that restoration, restoration in your body, restoration in your heart, restoration in your mind, restoration. Uh, and I believe you don't have to wait to get prayed for, although we will pray for you at the end. We have, we have the ministry time. I believe the, the best ministry team is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and, and, and he's here, uh, and he's all over you. I can see him and feel him, and just because maybe you can't, but that doesn't mean it isn't true. Uh, and as you kind of just turn your affection to him, the more you'll clock what he's doing in the room. I particularly got this thing about dyslexia this morning. I believe God wants to free someone from dyslexia and other things as well. And uh, got a couple of people going to share stories. Kat, do you want to give us a couple of on-the-street tales of what God's been doing on the streets? sure how to respond to that um so we went out treasure hunting so we went out treasure hunting which is basically asking god for clues and uh, for people we can go and meet uh, and it's just a chance to get to talk to them and pray with them um and we met three people in particular last time we went one of them was Tam, who's part of our church, and he'd recently had his um, jaw and cheekbone busted, and unfortunately he was mugged. Um, so we prayed for him, and I got a text later that day to say that he could move his jaw to the left for the first time since he'd been attacked, yeah. which Thank was God. awesome. Yeah. We then met some guys who were out to watch um, the footy, and um, one of them had crutches, which for us is just like, yep, we're there. <laughs> Come on, crutches, we're going to see those go. And uh, we prayed for this guy. He had um, back pain. He'd been beaten up um, with a baseball bat so he'd really been done in prayed for him once and some of the pain went uh he let's pray for him again uh, and the pain completely went yeah um, God. and then we moved around the corner <laughs> and we found a guy who was um, originally i think from liverpool and he was um having to beg on the streets he got arthritis in his hand uh, again he let us pray for him and uh, he saw healing in his hand too Woo! Thank you. that's awesome that's amazing ha if you're visiting, you won't be in the kind of loop, but we just keep praying for the sick and God keeps healing them. And we have 50 stories from last year alone, some of them on the street, some of them right here. 
uh, and we love to keep telling the stories because there's power in the stories. Now we've got another powerful story about a different subject, joy. It's great having Stu and Joy amongst us, isn't it? We love them. Come and tell us what happens, Joy. Hello. <laughs> Um, yeah, just about restoration quickly. Um, we have just had a year of restoration in so many areas of our lives. Anyone that knows us will know about that. But um, yeah, we had a major kind of issue in the whole of our marriage has been kind of finances. We really struggled for breakthrough with finances. And um, my husband's a composer. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we've been... <laughs> And, um, yeah, money's been really, really difficult. Um, and um, it got to kind of the end of last year. Um, December, we were like, there was no work, nothing in sight or anything. And we got prayed for here, and we just um, really felt like we should pray and fast for breakthrough because we had about two weeks of money left, and we have four children. And it was near Christmas, and it was all a bit, ah! So, um, yeah, so we prayed and we fasted for a couple of days a week. And if you know us, that's a difficult thing for us to do. We like our food. And, um, but we just felt God's grace on us, really. And um, as we prayed, it seemed to get worse. So he would be offered a job, and then it would be taken off him by some you know, unusual circumstance. And I was like, God, what is this? So, but we kept going, and then um, it got to like the end of the fourth week, and I was like, oh my goodness, we're going to have to go on for another f- you know, fifth week of praying and fasting. Um, you know, but there didn't seem any kind of breakthrough, and then suddenly God just went bang, and we've just had a humongous, humongous breakthrough. Um, in terms of January, he's made as much money as he made in six months in one month. Um, which is amazing. God really is the God of making things that are impossible possible. And um, again, we're continuing to having massive favor. Um, he's um, working on Doctor Who and Torchwood with a composer guy for the next three months. And money just seems to be rolling in. And it's just absolutely amazing. And I got to this point where I was like, right, okay, this is all going really well. Something always goes wrong when things are going really well. So I was like, right, okay, God, okay, what could go wrong now? Because um, we've had a difficult four years. And, um, and I just felt God kind of laughing at me. And he was, like, he was like, Joy, you know that I'm good, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, I know that, I know that you're good, yeah, God. Yeah, but um, I'm sure there's a limit to your goodness. And um, I felt him say, there's no limit to my goodness. There's no limit to how much I want to lavish upon you and bless you and make things easy for you. And, and that's what he's doing. And I'm just totally, totally blown away with God's goodness. He is awesome. He is amazing. And he does break through on things that you might think there's no way there's going to be a breakthrough. There will be. You do that, would you pray for us? Okay, who's got a money problem in the room? Come on. <laughs> All right, who doesn't have a money problem in the room? Maybe easy. No, L- listen, faith just came in the room. Let's believe God for. Br- uh, just ask Joy, she's nervous to di- just pray because they've broken through 
Just pray for blessing on yeah, everybody. Well, oh God, I thank you that you are awesome. I thank you that you are um, good, that you uh, are the God of the impossible, yeah, making thanks. things possible, Father, that you are for us and not against us, that you uh, want to lavish your blessings and your goodness upon us, God. And I pray, Father, for breakthrough financially for every single person yes, in this Lord. room, God, that yeah. you will lavishly bless them with your goodness, God, and with your financial blessing, Lord. I thank you that there is no limit to your financial blessing, God. And I just pray for this week, Lord, that there'll be major your testimonies of your goodness and breakthrough financially God thank you Jesus amen that's brilliant thanks Joy it thank you um you know when you become a Christian you become a Christian because you believe a story a testimony that's really old about a really old person from a long time ago in a land far far away He's called Jesus, and he died. The story is he died on a cross, and three days later, God raised him from the dead. And if you believe the story, resurrection happens to you. Isn't that amazing? And it still works. 2,000 years, it still works. So if you're here today and you don't know that, you can change today. If you believe that he lived, that he died for you, and he rose again three days later, you believe that story... You can change today. Resurrection life, miracle life can start to happen in your life, your mind, your soul right now. Isn't that amazing? Why should it be any different from any other story that God, of what God does? You just heard some amazing stories that God's done, actually a lot closer to home, a lot more recently, but they were God. If you believe them, something's going to happen for you. The whole picture is made of God's story. And as we connect to it and believe it, then actually things start to change for us. And that's one of the reasons we do testimony. Isn't just, it is so that we can give glory to God, that we can give the people that do it, because we want to applaud the courage. I mean, we've got people doing crazy things on the streets. You know, kneeling in the snow, running up to people with one leg and praying for them. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. Um, but part of it is to encourage the people, part of it is to give glory to God, but a big reason is that faith would come to you sitting in your chair with your bad wrist or your broken back or your, so that faith, just like when you hear the story about Jesus, 2,000 years old, still as effective today, when you hear a story of God's activity, that can become faith and breakthrough for your life, so your money can change. They may have to pray and fast for their breakthrough, Sorry about this, but if you believe it, you could get it for free. <laughs> in fact, if they're gracious enough and they start laying hands on you, they could give away their breakthrough to you for free if faith is rising in your heart. And I know that's kind of frustrating, Stu, but... <laughs> okay, if you turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians. But this is why we keep telling the stories of what God is doing. Because it creates, it creates a faith momentum in the church. And, it, and the things that God has done always speak of what he wants to do. So he raised Jesus from the dead because he wants, and he's going to raise all of us from the dead. <laughs> the great thing is we don't have to suffer and die to get the blessing. He did that for us. And we, so he did the hard work, we get all the goodies. That's the Christian life. 
<laughs> okay, uh, we're going to le- read a chunk of scripture. And, uh, yeah, and take it from there. Yeah, it would help to know where that is, wouldn't it? <laughs> Did I say 1 Corinthians? Okay, yeah, well, that's a good start. It's chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to kick off. Um, struggling with a title for this, but we're not mere men and women will do. And, and the context is, not of the scripture, but of, is a series of talks we're doing about what is the nature of the church. And the nature of the church changes according to how you see yourself and how you see the God of the church. So God says to Isaiah, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where's the house you'll build for me? Jesus said he would build his church in the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. There is a house to be built by Jesus, but it doesn't look like anything on earth. There's no institutional model that you can follow that will produce a house that God can dwell in. We need the revelation of Jesus because he's building a house that he loves to dwell in. He's building a heavenly house right here on on earth. And I believe we're in in a season of revelation about the nature of the church. We're getting new understanding from God about what it's supposed to look like, what it's supposed to feel like, and who the people in it, how we're supposed to be. And any institution is shaped by its leadership, but also by its inhabitants. So people who come here all come theoretically to learn because they need instruction. So this is a school, and it's led by teachers. People in a prison have all done something wrong and they need sorting out. So it's a correctional facility. So it has guards and your freedoms are limited. The church doesn't look like anything like any of those things because it's a heavenly manifestation. It's a heavenly institution here on earth. And we need need new paradigms and new thinking to understand what the heaven to earth church looks like in our generation. And that's what we're talking about. So... Dive into the scripture here in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. We all love these verses, don't we? Not many were were of noble birth. No toffs in the room, although I'm sure they do get saved by Jesus. If you go to Eton, you can go to heaven. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast in him. It's because of him you're in Christ Jesus and, and has become, who's become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. And then he goes on to say, let's just, we've just got to keep reading. I'm sorry, it's a big chunk today. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come to you with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration 
of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, note that, who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. All human institutions, if Jesus had appeared, would have wanted to kill him. That's what he's saying. However, it is written, no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is, what, this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept these things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that they may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That section coming up. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you indeed <coughs> you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men and here's Paul thank God really for the Corinthian church because it was so full of problems which is this letter is written to address it gives us loads of insight into the early church and the heart of God for for his church And and, and the first bit the bit that we're reading the context is the church is divided around visiting ministries so some bit we didn't read some are saying I'm of Paul some are saying I'm of Apollos who was a mighty preacher some are saying I'm of Cephas which is Peter that you know the one the head guy of the apostles who stood up on in Acts 2 and addressed the assembled crowd some are saying that I'm of Christ you know they're the really spiritual ones and uh, they're all kind of camping around their favorite ministry guy. And, and Paul is writing to address that issue. And, and it's, it's absolutely fascinating to me what he, as much what he does say as what he doesn't say. And, and so he treats them in a way that, that actually I have not found happens in the life of the church as I've been around. When, when I've experienced this kind of problem, here's the kind of advice you get. Okay, you've got division. Some people really like that preacher. Some people are all going over to hear that message. Some people are uh, uh, and, and inside the church. You've got people who, you know, their favorite's Driscoll or their favorite's uh, Bill Johnson or their favorite's Tim Keller or whatever. And you have all this thing. So what do people do? They say, well, look, some version of this happens. They kind of say, well, let's all just listen to him. Stop downloading. Da, 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 da. Let's just all read these books. Let's, let's, let's make it simple. Let's all congregate around one stream of ministry. Or you have a discussion about the relative merits of the different inputs. 
Yeah, like he could have written, he could have written and said, you know, Cephas, Peter, I wouldn't listen to him too. His theology is awful. If you've read Galatians, Paul publicly rebuked Peter for really going off the page theologically and, and starting to separate himself. But he doesn't, he doesn't land a kind of subtle, you know, look, downgrade Peter, upgrade me message. It doesn't prescribe a don't listen to their messages, just listen to my messages. Those are the kind of tactics we have tended to use in the church. And he doesn't use any of them. And that's because he doesn't think about the church like we tend to think about the church. And what he's saying to them here is, you used to be these kind of people. You, and we are like that, don't we? We can see ourselves in the list of the people who weren't noble and the people who weren't terribly smart and the people that weren't, weren't much, the are-nots of the world. And we kind of like, because it makes us feel all comfortable because we can see ourselves in one or other of those categories. And some of us just feel so comfortable because we see ourselves in all of them. But what he's saying is you're letting what you used to be govern how you are. The church is not meant to be designed around how you used to be. It's not an institution built around people who are not anything. It's not meant to keep reminding you of how lowly you were and how foolish you were and how weak you were and how much of an R-not kind of person you were. Its structure and its leadership and its environment and its culture is not meant to be put together in such a way as it keeps reminding you of that or is built to allow for that being the case. Because we need to read the rest of the verse. It says actually all these people who are not, actually the destiny of all of us is to bring to nothing the things that are. God is planning to turn the tables on the world by taking all of us and making the world look silly and his church look glorious. Hello? He's actually said in the verse, he's saying, I'm going to, tran- God is in the process of transforming you from people who, who don't have much significance into those that shame the people that do have significance. Isn't that amazing? We're not who we were. We're not mere men and women. He says you're acting like mere men. You're reverting to type. And when you revert to type, you end up in jealousy and factions and you know you have your favorite preachers and you can't listen to the others because they don't agree with your favorite. And that's what was going on with them. Their vision was too small. They were earthly. They were looking at it from a shrunken, earthly, limited point of view. Paul's saying you're behaving like mere men. And there's a little phrase that goes around Christian circles is, well, we're only human, aren't we? Hands up if you ever used it. I certainly have. I'm I'm only human. That's not true. If you're a Christian, you're not only human. You're part of a whole new race of people walking the planet. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are new creatures in Christ. People who never existed before. We're not only human. Isn't that exciting? That's not condemnation. That's encouragement. You are not just human. Hallelujah. 
You're something much more inspiring and glorious than that. And you still live in the regular old body that you had, but one day you'll get a new one. Glory. God deliberately chose, this is the Amplified, what in the world was low-born and insignificant, branded and treated with contempt, even the things that are nothing, that he might depose and bring to nothing the things that are. There's an there's a authority and power revolution inherent in the gospel. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, so I'm sending you. And when the early apostles showed up in a city, even if there's only two or three of them, what they said was, oh my goodness, the people who've turned the world upside down have showed up here as well. How could that happen? How could R-nots become somewhats? How could, how could people who want to keep a low profile, you know, not put their head above the parapet, become absolute revolutionaries? Become Holy Ghost radicals. Well, some of the clue is in the rest of the... He's reminding. He says, remember, when I came... Isn't it interesting? He gives you all this and then he says, what's the next thing he says? He doesn't deal with, you know, the theology of Apollos and the theology of, Derek, of, of, of Cephas and my theology is this and let's compare and contrast. No, he says, remember what it was like when I showed up. When I showed up, what did I come with? I demonstrated the power of God. I didn't come with clever words. Huh. It's, I think what he's saying is, I've just told you, you used to be this, you used to be ordinary, you used to be insignificant, but actually you're called to be significant, you're called to be world changers, you're called to be this, you're called to turn the, the, the status quo of the world system upside down, you're called to shame the wise and those who think they're something, you, you're called to show them up for who they are, you're called to be salt and light is Jesus' language. But you know what, when you're sitting there and you know what your life is like, it's blooming hard to believe that could actually be true for you, isn't it? Hello? You know, you think, well, it's great preach. Yeah, yeah, great words, great Bible. It must be true because in the Bible, when you think about your life, you can tend to just go, it must be for somebody else. How is it possible to be that transformed? Well, it isn't. Unless you're connected to a being who does impossible for breakfast, dinner and tea. Unless you know how to connect to a realm that is just impossible all the time. Unless you know how and who it is, who you're connected to is actually the limitless father of heaven who doles out miracles for fun. If you know that, then transformation of your life starts to become an interesting possibility. So what he's saying to them is, remember what happened. I didn't come with a great list of arguments. I came with a demonstration of the spirit and power. And I've noticed in the church, as we've started to see more miracles, it's really funny to watch people's faces as they get one. 
It was quite entertaining watching Nick and Jan last weekend as Jan's damaged ligaments got healed and she hopped across the front of the leaders meeting with no crutches. It was a miracle. Which is very exciting for everybody else. But actually, sometimes as the recipient, it's totally frying your brain, isn't it? Especially as they're medical. You've got a doctor and a nurse. It's like, I can just see it going, this doesn't compute. No, it doesn't. Someone else, we had a kind of encounter time, and someone else came up to me and said, I had this vision of Jesus, and he was far away, and we were encouraged to ask him to come closer, so he did. And he got right in my face, right inside my personal space. And I'm thinking, yeah? He lives inside you. He doesn't get more in your personal space than that. But we kind of have this idea, we all do it, where we've sort of parked him in heaven. You know, Jesus, Jesus has become the, the heavenly lay-by burger van. We, you know, we pop in when we're hungry on the journey of life. No, he's invaded your life. <laughs> Lenny was praying that I'd cut out the jokes. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> some miracles just aren't going to happen but isn't that incredible He, he, he exposes them to that memory you saw the miraculous and that gives you the potential to live the miraculous life transformation is possible when you see it it messes with you in a good way. And talking to Alan about Sarah's healing, and it's just kind of dumbfounded for weeks on end. Can't, because it doesn't make sense to any human category that you have been raised with, and that's what's supposed to happen. It's supposed to make us get rewired on the inside and start to factor in the impossible as a normal part of our life. And encount- any encounter with God with a whether dramatic or subtle, is supposed to contribute to rewiring you on the inside so you start to believe him more than you believe yourself or your training or the world around you. So that you start to believe the impossible is possible for you and through you. Hello? That's what's happening to us as a church. Our paradigm on Christianity is shifting because we're exposed to a supernatural God who does miraculous things. It's making me think different thoughts than I thought before because I'm encountering something of another dimension that doesn't fit in the boxes that I had. That's exciting. But it is scary. Thank you for saying that because it reminded me of a point I was going to make. If we live like we used to be, yeah? The insignificant ones. The kind of church we want if we bring our insignificant feelings to it, what we want is safety. What we want is everybody to tell us that it's all right and that we're all right. It's got to be secure because we don't feel secure. This is kind of God's red hot Holy Spirit terrorist training camp. I'm trying to get words out that that just change the box for a minute. I mean, I've been in hundreds of leaders' meetings where the top of the agenda really is how can we make everybody feel safe? 
Because what we kind of intrinsically know is people are feeling insecure. And, and I understand that and we need to help people with that. But our top priority is not safety, it's revolution. We're supposed to be dangerous. And we've just become nice. And I'm fed up of church being nice. And Christians, you know, they go shout and praise on a Sunday morning and go in their office and just go, who? Be a nice person. And that's great. But you're supposed to be powerful and nice, not just nice. Huh. Yeah, it's nothing against niceness. Sorry, niceness is not a sin. But we're called to more than that. We're called to be really different. We're called to scare people with God. I don't mean like with scary anger. I mean God's love is scarier than any anger. It's so intimate. It's so powerful. It's so winning. It's so personal. It's so... ah. People find goodness and love harder to deal with than anger and judgment. We get nice to people, really nice, from genuine reasons. It freaks them out. You're called to be supernaturally good. We mustn't let who we were define and shape the household values and atmosphere of the church. Otherwise, we end up with an institution that's good for control, safety, and instruction where the assumptions are we need to be safe, we, need, we don't know anything so someone please tell me and we don't know what to do so someone please tell me what to do. And hundreds of churches flourish on those principles. We teach you well, we make you feel safe and we tell you what to do and everybody shows up and we're taught, we're told what to do and we feel safe and we go home and we do it. Something's changing. See, if we carry on like that and you will find out who you really are, that model breaks. Because you all want freedom and you're all powerful and you all want to do crazy stuff. And we're going to, no, you've got to be safe. Yeah, but you don't really know what you're doing. Let's give you 15 weeks training. We need to get, before you do stuff, let's get your theology about growing legs right. (laughs) I don't have any theology for growing legs. I just believe it's possible. But it's scary when you actually try and do it. Jan McFarlane, I do forgive her. But she is crazy bold. We prayed for a guy with one leg to be healed. Not just to feel better, to get a new one. Now, it didn't happen, but as she said to me, if you don't pray, it never happen. So I'm like, we pray for the God. Ha, we're going to see blind eyes open. How are we going to do that? Pray for people who can't see? Big tip. <laughs> we're going to see deaf ears open. How do we do that? Look for someone who's got a hearing aid in and pray for them. Well, it didn't work the last 15 times. Well, who knows? The next one might be the one. That's dangerous talk. Huh. Oh. <laughs> this, 
happens in every message, doesn't it? There's a moment where I look at the clock, then I talk to you about how rubbish the message is going because I can't fit everything in. And I'm not going to do that today. This is going wonderfully well. What else does it... So it reminds them of the miraculous. That they're connected with a limitless God for whom the impossible is normal. And therefore their transformation is assured. And the second thing he does is he tells them how... Well, he tells them two things. He tells them that on their own they can't find out God's destiny for their life. On their own, they can't figure out how God works. But God sent help so that they can know it all. So the mysterious starts to become the revealed. So the confusing starts to become plain. And so that the plan that you're pursuing suddenly is connected to the limitless God rather than the limited intelligence that we all possess. He's saying you cannot invent your destiny from your brain. Because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart or mind of man has conceived of what God has got up his sleeve for you. You can't dream it up yourself. Why? Because you would always put limits on it because you're limited. Yeah? Yeah? You're like, well, I could have probably achieved that in my life. I can remember being at university. My dream was to own a semi-detached house, a 1.6-litre car with an up-and-over garage door, be married and have two kids. <laughs> Man, that's going to really kind of get your juices flowing for... That was before I was a Christian. How dull is that? Well, I thought that was achievement. I was... That's no dream at all, is it? But that's the kind of thing you can come up with on your own. What's your dream? Well, I want to travel the world. Dull. (laughs) I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do. I'm just saying in terms of what God wants to show you, you you know, you can buy a few train tickets, hitchhike a bit and, you know, and plane tickets and maybe you can do that, but... Revelatory things take you into the realm of what is impossible. And God's dreams for you are scary good. They're exciting good. They put you in touch with the limitlessness of your heavenly father. And put you in a place where you need the limitlessness of your heavenly father. So are you dreaming about something you can achieve if you work hard and plan well? Well, I would suggest to you that you need to see more. And what he's saying here is you can. He says, God, he says you, can't, he says you can't invent this stuff, but God shows it to you. I'd suggest that pretty much everything God has for us 
is greater, wider, more beautiful, more creative, and more powerful than anything we would come up with on our own. Ah. I think I should say that again. I would suggest that pretty much everything God has for us is greater, wider, more beautiful, more creative, and more powerful than anything we could come up with on our own. See, church is meant to be a place where people believe in, talk about, and do impossible stuff. So spiritual revelations are absolutely necessary. And really Paul says that, and I'm going to stretch his language a little bit, but he says, I'm using, to communicate to you now, Corinthians, I'm using spiritual language to communicate spiritual truths, and the unspiritual don't get it. And, and we've made the word spiritual and unspiritual kind of, kind of lingo in the church, but really it means people without the spirit, people who are not filled with the Spirit. It's people not inspired by the Holy Spirit. We need to learn the language of the Spirit. And we talked a bit about that the language of the Spirit is in the realm of prophecies and visions and dreams all through the Bible. How does God communicate to people? I would suggest to you that over and over again, it's in the realm of supernatural encounters and visions, dreams. Sometimes he does it because they read a book. They suddenly discovered the the old covenant hidden in the temple and read it and realized what God was about. But God wants to encounter you and fry your brain and rewire it so you get a vision for what he has for you. And his vision for you will put you more in touch with who you are and who he's made you to be. When the Holy Spirit came on them in Acts 2, Peter stands up and he quotes Joel. And he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to dream dreams and have visions and you're going to prophesy. That's the language of the Spirit. Hello? It's going to show you stuff. It's going to reveal things to you. Some of it's going to be subtle. Some of it's going to be shouting at you. You know, sometimes people are going to get crashed to the floor. I mean, that happened last week. We did the fire tunnel. This is a floor you only fall on if it's God. It's cold and it's hard. (laughs) Some of you, it's going to be a whisper of the Spirit driving the car. It's just going to open up a whole realm of thought and revelation to you. God is communicating all the time and wants to communicate to you in visions and dreams, in spiritual words and spiritual language, in prophecies. Get those prophecies out. You're supposed to fight with prophecies. Did you know that? They're a weapon. Well, it hasn't come true for 20 years. Well, maybe it'll come true tomorrow. Fight with it. That's what Paul's instruction was to Timothy. Get the prophecy out. If it was a true word, it'll come true. Fight with it. Believe it. Pray into it. Huh. 
You know, often these visions and things, it's not clear in the Bible how they saw it. Was it with the naked eye? The thing we all want is to have an open vision, is to actually, you know, with our eyes open, we see kind of that, do you know what I mean? But it's not always clear in the Bible what, how visions came. I think some of them were in, because it isn't clear, they were in the imagination. That's God's projection screen. scary that yeah but he's the one who said he's going to do abundantly more than we ask or imagine he's the one that said we have to be renewed in in our minds john just says in revelation i was in the spirit on the lord's day and he has this vision i don't know what that looks like But I do know what it's like to be in the spirit and start to hear and see things. And you don't always see them with a natural eye, but stuff goes off in your heart and your head that you just can't put words to. This is our inheritance. Did you know that the least in the kingdom of heaven was greater than John the Baptist, who was the greatest of the old covenant prophets? And we tend to think, well, these things are just for prophets. You're all prophets at that level. Everyone can prophesy. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. There are no special people who just have these things happen. It's for all of God's children to have visions and dreams that connect them to their destiny and their identity. Church is a place of encounters, visions, dreams, prophecies, preaching that takes us outside of earthly limits and that keeps us positioned in the place where the impossible is normal for our lives. That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, don't be mere men, don't be earthly, don't be mortals. Remember that God is the God of limitlessness, of the impossible. Remember that you've been transformed. Remember you have access to heaven. Remember that God has shown and showing you amazing stuff. Isn't it an interesting solution to a division problem? This is his way of dealing with it. Remember who you are. And remember how amazing God is and remember what amazing things he did with you and can do with you. See, I think his belief was that church was supposed to be an explosive environment of faith and encouragement where any God-given dream feels ultimately and completely possible. Church is supposed to be full of dreamers. Full of seers, full of visionaries, full of radicals, full of people who've seen in the heavenly realms have been invaded by Jesus, full of people who have expectations beyond the sensible and the normal, full of people who are believing for the impossible every day. That's the kind of vision that Paul had for church. That's what he was bringing to them. He said, all this fighting about who's who and what, what, it's just too small a thinking. You've just been like mere men. You have access to heavenly realms. You've seen miracles. Come back up to who you really are. And, (laughs) thank you, Jesus. 
Can I talk to myself? Is that okay? <laughs> oh, that'll do. The, the, <laughs> the leadership challenge. I'm going to talk to you like leaders for a minute. Is that okay? Because most of you are going to be that one day anyhow. This is an amazing church. Everybody who comes here goes, that's an amazing church. You've got amazing people. I say, I know. <laughs> I don't tell you enough, but I know. This is, this is a hot house of Holy Spirit revolutionaries. You are just powerful, scary. It's just so exciting. So there's a leadership challenge. Because Paul's solution to the problem is non-prescriptive. He doesn't try out, well, like I said at the beginning, if I was you, you know, read, read, less, read less Mark Driscoll books. He doesn't go, you know what, you know, Bill Johnson doesn't quote the Bible enough, let's kind of, or, or, oh, phew. Some of these people associate with dodgy types. I've heard that. You know, don't listen to him because he associates with people that sinned. I'm thinking, that's what Jesus did. (laughs) I've actually heard leaders say, don't listen to other leaders who associate with people who have fallen. And I'm thinking, Jesus was a friend of sinners. He was accused of being a drunkard. I'm going... That means I can't talk to Jesus then. <laughs> it doesn't, he's non-prescriptive. He doesn't say, you're in my group, listen to me. Isn't that interesting? Am I making sense to anybody? Has anybody heard that kind of language in your experience of church? This is quite challenging. Because the immediate sort of leadership default is to say something prescriptive. But he doesn't. And he's non-competitive. He doesn't join in all their jealousy. and you Because know, it says that they've divided and they're jealous. Why are they jealous? Well, maybe it's because they've got something going on like, I think Apollos is the coolest preacher. I mean, that Cephas guy, just a fisherman really, Apollos educated, erudite, makes you tremble in your seat, man. And then the Peter guys are going, yeah, 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 but Peter, he met Jesus. He's better than Apollos any day. He walked with Jesus. He walked on the water. And then there's a Paul guy saying, Paul, man, his doctrine is so incredible, it's unfathomable we just love this kind of we don't understand it but we love it (laughs) even Peter writes in his letters this Paul wonderful inspired scripture but really difficult to understand (laughs) he doesn't dive into that world he doesn't get involved in that at all he honors diversity Implicitly and explicitly honors diversity. He's basically saying, 
The solution is not to stop listening to these guys. The solution is for you to realize who you are. <laughs> because he tells them. Can, can we read one more verse of the Bible? Is that... How dare you? It's the end of chapter 3. I mean, this, this caps it all. I've never heard anybody come up with this kind of solution to this kind of problem. Ha. Oh, I think the Holy Spirit likes that idea. So verse 21, so then, no more boasting about men. See, I told you I was right. They're all boasting about Peter's this flashy guy who's walked on water. He says, don't boast about men, whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas. All the, he says, ha. He says, ha, all things are yours. They all belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or for that matter, the world. Paul's off on one. What's yours, church? Well, it's Bill Johnson, and it's Mark Driscoll, and it's Terry Virgo, and the world. This is in the Bible. All right, I'm not making this up. Not, not, Andy's not off on one. Paul's off on one. In the world. Wow. What does that mean? I don't know. But it sounds amazing. And what else? It doesn't stop there. All things are yours in the world. I keep saying the world because the world's amazing. All life. All of life is yours. Whoa. Feel like those little creatures in Toy Story. <laughs> the claw. Whoa. Life. The world. And death. What I own death, yeah. You totally nailed it. I understand that a bit better because death, where is your sting? We have victory over death. We own death. It doesn't own us. Oh, death is a fearful thing. No, it's not. It's unbiblical to fear death. Ha. You own it. So have you got your head around that? So Paul, Apollos, Cephas, they're all yours. The world's yours. Life's yours. And death is yours. But that's not all. The present's yours. I don't know what that means either. But now is yours. You own the moment. So when you move in, I do know what it means. I've just got some understanding on that. When you go out on the street, you talk to that guy, you own the moment. Suddenly, his whole world has changed because you prayed for it. Well done. You didn't know that, did you? I didn't know that till now. When you walk into your classroom, you own it. You own the moment. God's given you an anointing to serve with such intensity and love with such intensity that you change the atmosphere of your school, your classroom, your office, your workplace. You own it. But you don't own it in a dominating way. You own it in a serving way. So you're secure enough to not have to be in charge. I like that one. And that's not all. 
You also own the future. Oh, what's the future going to bring? I don't know, but you own it. What's going to happen in the future? I don't know, but you own it. That's got to be good. You're not owned. Yeah, you're not at the whim of events. Because you have been lifted up in Christ to heavenly places, you seat with him and you rule. You're not at the mercy of the now or the, or the not yet, in that sense, the future to come. That is not ruling you. Ah. So, don't mess with all this. Don't be mere men. What a solution. <laughs> remember who you are. In fact, before it is told them, remember you're walking holy of holies. Didn't have time to read that bit. But we're going to sneak it in. It says you are temples of the Holy Spirit. What that means is you are walking holy of holies. Inside you lives God like he lived in the holy of holies. Every Christian is a walking temple of the same power and, and the same potential as the temple that was in the Old Testament. Huh. I know that doesn't sound as exciting as everything is yours, but you need that to get the second thing. So the point of this is that that changes leadership because we're not leading mere men, but we're leading walking temples of holiness. We're not trying to build people to ourselves, we're trying to release people to their heavenly given dreams. We're not, we're not trying to tell people what to do, we're trying to plug them into heaven. He refuses to let them be small and shrink their destiny down to one man's revelation and ministry. Ah. And he expects them to be able to process the inputs that they're getting. Glory. I have to admit to being slightly scared. (laughs) But it is in the Bible, so we have some encouragement. Now you're laughing at me now, for good reason. Because of what I just said. Hmm. But in the same way that this is scary for me, you're feeling the same scary. But it's in the Bible. It should be some help to you as well. (laughs) (laughs) And the added plus is, all things are yours. Wow. Wow. I believe God is unshrinking our Christianity. (laughs) You know, we shrink wrap things to keep them from going stale and keep them pure. We don't need that stuff. It's too small. Can we stand and pray? (laughs) 